but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. I'm Archie Windsor of um, Sussex. Where is this going? Where is this coming from? We just always start the show the same way. And we were just here three days ago, so I wanted a bit of a change. That was a poor choice. This is the Body Serve <laughs> Tennis Podcast. Welcome back to our Australian Open preview episode, our fifth? Sixth? Sixth. This is our sixth season. The first time we did an Australian Open preview, uh, Serena had just won the U.S. Open. We didn't know that she was embarking upon Serena Slam 2.0. Novak was about to create a, another historic season. Times have changed and times have also not changed. No, because you could argue probably the two betting favorites are Serena and Novak six years later. So what? Yeah. Well, I'll push back on the Serena thing, but... No, I hear I'm, you. I'm pretty. I'm said the betting favorite. Oh, oh, not your. Not my pick. Okay. You have a retraction to make. I do. You are sloppy. This is so and embarrassing. Careless. I called Nicolas Jari Argentinian. He is in fact Chilean. Mm-hmm. He is from Chile. They are two different countries in South America. My apologies. I hate making mistakes. It's embarrassing. Some could argue that perhaps I should have caught that, but. I will say that my bandwidth is full. I'm going to rely on my bandwidth to get away with everything mm-hmm. in 2020. Yes. There's just only so much the bandwidth can let in. The Australian Open is about to start, despite all the controversy about air quality, the concerns that players should not be playing in these conditions. This is going to be an interesting one. This major, the first of a new decade, has been plagued with controversy from really the beginning of the year. Australia continues to endure this bushfire crisis. Rains have come in some places, which has been a welcome reprieve. We're going to get to that a little bit later. We're going to start with the actual draws and the draw ceremony, which this Australian Open draw ceremony, every year without fail is an exercise in largesse and stupidity. I don't know that you could really call it a draw ceremony because they don't actually do the draw. All they do is pull it up on friggin' PowerPoint and show you what they already did. They have the panel that they bring out, and then they have the defending champion bring out the trophy, and they sit with them and they talk with them for a bit. And so the one-hour-long ceremony really only has... 10 minutes of draw. Mm -hmm. What they did better this year than previous years. Last year, the the amount of time that they spent on the men in discussing the draw, as opposed to the woman, was not equal. It was equal to the second this year. They were were on point with that. Remember two years ago when they let Maria bring out Daphne in Serena's stead? I was... Getting to that. That was my next point. (laughs) Mm. When you have Novak and Naomi come out and sit for these interviews, it makes up such a meaningful part of the ceremony. The only part outside of finding out what's happening that's worth watching, really. And they've earned it, right? Like, they're the defending champion. Let them have their moment again with the trophy that they won. It's like when, you know, at a beauty pageant, you see Miss World... 2019 she's standing there waiting to give the crown over you know and (laughs) (laughs) i don't i actually don't know that i've ever watched a beauty pageant no they're just Um, they they introduce them and mm. then they come in and they do a little video showing us what they've done over the past year and then they just wait to crown the next person take the crown off their head put it on the next person scepter crown sash and that's it Mm -hmm. here you get a little bit more of a spotlight you know, you get you get more of your own moment. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a really nice honor for the defending champions to do. And you get to spend a little time with them as if they're on a talk show, but they're in their element. It's not the Ellen show. This is tennis, right? 
And why I bring this up. <laughs> Watching it this year, I was thinking back to 2018 and just how wild it was that they chose Maria Sharapova to bring the trophy out and sit with her <laughs> and talk with her. Right, because it, it wasn't like she was the runner-up the previous year. No, that was Venus. It, it would make sense if, okay, Serena's on maternity leave. She couldn't be here. Let's speak to the woman she beat or or the current number one player in the world who at the time uh, was probably, I don't know, Simona or Caroline, one of those. Definitely not Caroline in 2018. But she w- she ended up winning that tournament yes. that year. Yeah. But, but anyway, I'm just saying Maria was such a bizarre choice. Especially, too, she was coming back from the suspension uh, with right. the meldonium that happened at the Australian Open. <laughs> it was an absolutely absurd choice. Anyway, I can see you're sitting there impatient, wanting me to move on from this topic. <laughs> <laughs> the actual draw ceremony is farcical because the draw is not being revealed in real time. And the problem with this and the U.S. Open does the same thing, is a lack of transparency. So you have this this entire show, and you're sitting there waiting for them, oh my god, just get on with it. And they make you wait, 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 and the thing isn't even live. And my point in saying this is, if you can create a draw ceremony that's live, and do the draw live, why wouldn't you? So that people mm-hmm. aren't here sitting in shock, wondering if you've conjured another Venus Williams Coco Gauff first round because you saw how that went at Wimbledon last year. I would like to understand the decision-making that goes into it because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. We know that the appearance of corruption is often as important as genuine corruption, right? Why would you invite speculation about how the draw is put together by holding it behind closed doors, why not just do it in the open? And people are still going to say, oh, that was rigged. But at least you can say, look, we drew these names out of a hat right in front of your eyes. Uh, Like, why would you not close that loop? And then some will answer and say, well, because it is rigged. And they want it to be rigged. But I don't think that that's the case. We don't believe that it is. But from a public relations point of view, why would you even invite that sort of accusation? The Australian Open has always come off as though it has this inferiority complex. Like it's a, a step-sibling that has a whole bunch of money and it's going to while out. You know, it wants, right. it wants to do the most and present itself in a way that's just not necessary because of a chip on its shoulder. But in many ways... It seems like they've been successful. Players have a great time there. Their player lounge is apparently amazing. The fan experience, from what we hear, is wonderful. And we've never been there, but I would absolutely love to go to this tournament. Everybody usually looks like they're having a great time. It's a 10-minute walk from downtown Melbourne. That's not nothing. Mm -hmm. Let's get into the draw. So, starting with the women, I think it's, it's safe to say that the two draws are not... Of the same excitement quotient. It depends who you are and what your Mm -hmm. perspective is. I suppose we're biased because we actually enjoy women's tennis. We do. And I very much enjoy men's tennis too. And and I I feel like a broken record going through these draws year after year because the trends are quite similar tournament to tournament. We know that the big three has such a stranglehold on the actual tournament victories that you can talk about the next gen breaking that big three hegemony, but it hasn't happened yet. Whereas on the women's side, we we talk about dangerous floaters, parity, the opportunity for a dozen or more women to win. And I've, it's like a cliche at this point. What can we bring to a draw analysis that is different? Nothing. It's frustrating. <laughs> this is why we haven't enjoyed this this show historically. We don't like doing draw shows because it's a a shot in the dark. We end up looking stupid for the most part when we make predictions and it's a lot of the same. Now, don't be a downer. I am currently enjoying myself. Mm. I don't know about you. I'm just speaking facts. Right. That's it. 
the the big story with the woman's draw is the second quarter. Is that correct or is that false? You sat here sifting through pages. Like, that was not a difficult question. (laughs) That's like the first thing you should know about the draw heading into recording this show. The answer is yes. Okay, we've seen loaded draws at Wimbledon, I think, last year. This is, yeah, it's exciting. There's a lot of popcorn in this quarter. But I wouldn't say that it's incredibly lopsided. That's not what this is about. Okay. The second quarter is just interesting. That's what I'm saying. All right. All right. It has a lot of the big name folks that we find interesting. It has damn near all of the black women's players, except for Madison Keys. Mm -hmm. And it also has Venus playing Coco Goff in the first round. Again. It has Diana Yastrzemska, who has been having an excellent week. In Adelaide, working with Sasha Bayan, former coach of both Naomi Osaka and Serena Williams, who are also in this quarter. Sasha Bayan is trying it with me because <laughs> Yastrzemska has this huge win, and then he tweets out fabulous effort or something like that, and he says, a great team effort to get it done. Right, but who like actually got it done on court? That's what I'm saying. Like, Did she win the match or not? It's not, Sir, like, stand down. Save the team effort until she wins the tournament? Like, I don't want... It's... Col- oh. Collect your 10% and just be happy, okay? Lord. Venus and Coco is not something that we wanted to see. It is obviously great for television. Venus, I think, will know what to expect. Do we know if she's 100% healthy? No. In her first match of the season... Because she had to withdraw from both Brisbane and I think she planned on playing Adelaide. Or maybe she entered Adelaide after she withdrew from Brisbane, I don't know. But she hasn't played a match to date because of a purported hip injury or something like that. Uh, She's in Melbourne. She's been practicing. The question is, yes, she knows what to expect with Coco Goff at this point, having just played her last year. But given that it's her first match... Will she be able to execute? Right. Is Venus Williams the most surprising player in the WTA? Yes. Would I be surprised if she beat Coco? No. But I have no idea how to how to judge this match before it happens. In the third round, either Venus, Coco, Streetsova, or Kirstea could play Osaka. So this little section gets more and more interesting as it goes on. In this quarter, you also have Sloane Stevens. She opens against Zhang Shuai. Samantha Stozer gets a qualifier. There's also <laughs> Sonia Kennan in this section. Joe Kanta. Ans Jabor, who's been playing good ball. Wozniacki is in this, <laughs> in this quarter as well. And the really unfortunate thing for Wozniacki, as the champion from two years ago, and this being her final tournament in her career, she is likely... Should she get past Christian in the first round to play Diana Yastremska in the second round? Right. Yastremska is currently in the final in Adelaide. She's been pummeling the ball. But the seed, who is drawn to face Serena Williams in this possible round of 16, is Joanna Conta. She's all the way up to number 12 now. But there are, I mean, there are formidable obstacles in her way with Yastremska and Wozniacki. We're looking at... Yastrzemska was Niaki. Say Caroline is able to get through that. It's possible that Serena sends her into retirement in round three. That could happen. Right. Or she beats Serena or, and has a fairytale run to the final. Or, or Wang Chong is, is in the semifinal. I have no idea. Point is, there's a lot of intrigue in this section. This is the one that folks, us included, were gasping at when we first saw it. And, you know, draws are made for gasping. Right. Sloan has not been playing well over the past few weeks, and it is not easy for her to start. Listen, she she, ju- she lost in easily in straight sets to a Rodianova. Yes. Like, that is not a good look. And Samsonova in the first week of the season. Samantha Stozer has had some good results lately. She's playing in Australia. Don't count her out. So as we go through the quarters, and there are going to be eight of them between the men and the woman... We have noted some of the first-round matchups that we think are are worth watching. In this second quarter, we've already talked about Venus and Coco. 
Sloan and Zhang Shuai. Joe Kanta plays Ans Jabor. I think that's a, a low-key big one to watch. And then the other one that I'm not so sure folks are paying as much attention to as they should is the number three seed. Naomi Osaka versus Marie Boskova. You just picked her as one of the breakout candidates for 2020. Yes. It's not an ideal opening round for Naomi at all. I think Naomi is in good form. She's serving extremely well. She will probably get through, but this is not the kind of name that you want to see in your first round if you're a top four seed. And then if it plays to seeding, this quarter would have Naomi Osaka play Serena Williams in the quarterfinals, which for me is a cute place for it to happen. I think there's been wonderful groundwork laid in the preamble to the Australian Open to have this match, should it happen, put the 2018 US Open final to rest once and for all. Right. Serena got her first win against Naomi in Toronto last year. I would like for this match to happen, if it happens, not to be in a final. At least not right away. But what is some of that preamble, that groundwork that I was talking about? (laughs) Well, earlier this week was the rally for relief for the Australian bushfires. It saw all the top players on court at the same time, mic'd up, having a good time, playing mixed doubles. This was the brainchild of Nick Kyrgios. Kudos to him for getting this up and running. We neglected to mention on the last episode that Nick was really the catalyst for players getting involved with this with this cause. The institutions are not surprisingly a little bit slow to react, but Nick was the first one to say, I'm going to donate such and such for every ace that I hit. He also kind of chided Tennis Australia into getting the ball rolling. Right. At this event, Serena and Naomi are sitting beside each other. They're chatting. After, overnight, Naomi posts a picture to social media, captioning it saying, me and mom, or me and my mom. And it was just wonderful, really. It was a very cute picture, actually. And I will say, I don't know how much chatting was actually involved between the two of them, (laughs) because (laughs) Naomi said in the draw ceremony that when she's around these top players, she gets nervous and she doesn't really know what to say. And the interviewer was like, you're uh, like, you're one of them now. And she's like, but I'm new. (laughs) I have only been here for a little while. And so Serena responds with a bunch of hearts. So there's that. As far as Naomi and Serena are concerned, they're good. For the folks who wanted to start shit going forward with respect to the two of them, Naomi would have been the aggrieved party. And Naomi is making it clear here that she's good. We saw that she was good in Toronto last year. We saw that she was good in Cincinnati when I asked her about it last year. She was like, it was like playing a video game character and you reach the final level and you're playing the boss and Serena just leveled up. That's how she described Mm. Serena in, in Toronto and describing playing her with awe. You know, like there's, it's done with. Like we are the ones as folks who talk about tennis, who have these grudges against people irrationally on social media. We are the ones perpetuating this at this point. Those two are good. Right. And so I'm hoping that they play in the quarterfinals. I honestly don't care who wins. Some of y'all are going to be mad about that. <laughs> but what I want that they do play is for it to go off without a hitch. High quality, good stuff, good feelings, finito. End of it. And for the most part, the army is on board with Naomi now. And I see a lot of Rena's army actually sticking up for Naomi at this point. Good. I hope mm-hmm. so. The first quarter. I'm fascinated by this one. Ash Barty is leading as the number one seed. She has a reasonable, pretty straightforward third round against Rebekina, who must be one of the most low-key 29 seeds in history, or Sasnovich. She's in the final in Hobart right now. Rebekina. Yes. Alison Risk or Petra Martic could be in the fourth round. What I'm intrigued by is this kind of second section down here with Madison Keys, Maria Sakari, Petra Kvitova, Alexandrova, Jill Teichman. There are a lot of people hanging around here. Alexandrova just won the title in Shenzhen. 
she starts against Jill Teichman, who is a, a floater, who is probably very close to being seated, as a two-time titleist last year. An intriguing first round here is Madison Keys and Dasha Kazatkina. Kazatkina I picked as my one of my breakout slash comeback players for 2020. I don't necessarily know that it will happen here, but again, it's not a name you want to see if you're Madison Keys, just because Kazatkina has the experience of playing top players and indeed being a top 10 player at one point. She also knows how to meddle with power players. Yes. In the fourth round, Keys could face Petra Kvitova, who is the runner-up here. They just played in Brisbane. Madison won in three sets. Whereas Barty would be drawn to play Petra Martic in the fourth round. If you're looking at this entire top half based on seedings and who should get through, it would be Barty versus Osaka in the semifinals. Should that happen, it would be kind of a, a, a fruition a realization of, I think, two years ago, these two would have played in the third round in Australia or the fourth round in Australia. Mm -hmm. And back then, we noted that this felt like the future of women's tennis. And they're now the number one and number three seeds at the Australian Open. So they've, they've come a long way in a short period of time. That said, you could have Kvitova Serena in the semis, Keys Serena in the semis, Keys Osaka in the semis... There's there's a lot of permutations here that would would turn out uh, an intriguing semifinal to my mind. There aren't really a whole bunch of first round matches of note in this quarter. I don't think you mentioned Keys Kazatkina, and then I have Kvitova Siniakova in the first round. Mm-hmm. In the bottom half of the draw for the women, in the third quarter, we've got Belinda Bencic as the number six seed, which was higher than I remembered. And Simona Halep, the number four. No, no, we're in Australia now, so it's Belinda Bancic. Oh, yes. Yelena Ostapenko is unseated. We mentioned on the last episode that she just suffered a terrible loss in her family. Her dad passed away. She is planning on playing. No idea what kind of form she's going to be in, but nobody wants to face her in the third round. A first round I'm looking at is Maria Sharapova and Donna Vekic. Wow. Maria got that wild card to go face Donna Fekic in the first round. (laughs) There was some controversy over the wild card. And maybe, maybe we've done too many trips around this track before that I didn't even blink an eye at it. It's just, it's Maria Sharapova. Whether or not we like it, of course she's going to get a wild card. She's won the tournament before. If you are not one of the folks who absolutely believe she should never be allowed back on a tennis court because she's a doper, then this should be a no-brainer. She's going to be a draw. There are thirsty, disgusting men out there who want to look at her. And that drives <laughs> TV markets as well. Like Wow, you've just been really tough on straight men over these past few episodes, and I think <laughs> they deserve a break. Not all men. I, I, I have nothing mm-hmm. to come back to Right. With. It's hard to get a gauge of where Sharapova is at because she lost to, uh, who was it? Well, she played the Kuyang Classic and she was playing Zygamund and they stopped the match because of bad air quality with Sharapova down a set and tied at five all. Yes, but in the first tournament of the year she played and she was actually very ill going into the tournament. So it's not really clear where her form is at right now. Sorry, she played Jennifer Brady in her first round in Brisbane and lost in a third set tiebreak. Jennifer Brady is one to watch. As I said last episode, that's not necessarily a bad loss. No. For Sharapova. Arena Sabalenka, number 11 seed. Another one I think is poised to get out of this sophomore slump and is going to do big things this year. She reached the semifinal in Adelaide. She beat Simona Halep this week convincingly. Easily, even. In the second round, she's likely to play Iga Sviantek, which is not necessarily a good situation for her. (laughs) Should Maria Sharapova get through that first round, she could then play Sabalenka in the third round. Oh, she could play Alizé Cornet in the second round. Yes. Further down that third quarter, I'm looking at Simona Halep playing Jennifer Brady in the first round. Simona did not have a good showing... This past week, 
losing pretty easily in straight sets. And she mentioned just this past week that she hasn't necessarily had good results in Australia and it doesn't really conjure the best feelings for her. But mm. she is a finalist at this tournament and she is incredible on hard courts. So if she's healthy, I don't want to be hearing that kind of talk from her. Right. You know? It, I mean, the year she was runner-up, do you remember how many close calls she had? Like yes. the kind of scrapes that she got herself out of? That Halep Kerber match was legendary. One of the best of that year. She went on to win her first major at the very next event in Roland Garros. This little quarter here has a lot of intrigue because Danielle Collins could play Shia Suwe in the second round. That is something to watch. Danielle Collins has been blitzing her way through the WTA Tour to start the year, making, I think, a, a quarterfinal, and then now she's in a final, beating up people left, right, and center. Right. Like bagel, bagels, breadsticks, straight set wins. She stomped on Svitolina. She beat uh, Bencic and Kennan easily this week. And then if she gets through that second round, she could play Halep in the third round. She is squarely... I think, the player that nobody wanted in their section right now. Right. If I'm Elise Mertens, the 16 seed, I'm just hoping these girls all tire each other out so my round of 16 isn't too too bad. No, but listen, Mertens just lost to a resurgent Heather Watson in Hobart mm. in three sets, and she's scheduled or on track to play her again in the second round. Heather Watson has been doing the business, lost in three sets in Hobart in the semifinals, She's back inside the top 75 on the WTA Tour. It's not easy, easy peasy out here. Right. But it's also not easy to play these three-hour matches the week before a major. Yes, we we know that that's one of your favorite talking points. But this is not just me <laughs> in this case. <laughs> but it is. Let's, let's, it is one of your favorite talking right. points. If you go by the seedings... It should be Bencic and Halep in the quarterfinals. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that will not happen. I would be shocked if it happened. We mentioned Halep and Brady in the first round, Sharapova and Vekic in the first round. Don't sleep on Carla Suarez Navarro playing her final Australian Open, this the year of her retirement, playing Sabalenka in the first round. Fourth quarter on the women's side. This is led by Karolina Pliskova. In slot number 128, the number two seed, and number five, Alina Svitolina. Pliskova just won Brisbane for the third time. Look at her first round. Kristina Mladenovic, the heroine of Fed Cup. If Kristina imagines that she's playing for France, watch out. This is one of my first rounds to watch. I think it would not be an incredible shocker if Mladenovic knocked out Pliskova in the first round. This quarter has huge question marks in former Grand Slam winners Muguruza and Angelique Kerber. Muguruza is dealing with a viral illness. Kerber had to retire from a match this week with a back injury. She's questionable for this tournament. No idea what to expect there. This section has quite a few first-round matchups that could shift the balance of this quarter. You talked about Mladenovic Pliskova. There's also Taylor Townsend and Jessica Pagula. Mm -hmm. Pagula coming off a finals appearance in Auckland where she lost to Serena Williams, giving a wonderful account of her of her game in that final. Marketa Vondrosheva, she's back. If you recall, she hadn't played since Wimbledon last year, I think. The defending Roland Garros finalist, along with Ash Barty. The two of them met this past week in a rematch with Barty winning 6-3, 6-3 in Adelaide. But from all accounts, Marketa is feeling herself. Like mm -hmm. She looks good, she seems fit, and her game is still there. She's an incredible talent. But she opens against Svetlana Kuznetsova, who is the true definition of a wild card. Who knows? Angelique Kerber could face one of them in the third round if she plays. Honestly, to me it looks like Pliskova could get through this section no problem, or she could lose early. Like, either one, to me, is equally possible. I think you'd have to say that this is the quarter with the most wild-cardedness, don't you think? Right. On the top part of this quarter, we have number 21, Amanda Anisimova, the semifinalist in Auckland, losing to Serena Williams. She could face Kiki Burton's, the number 9 seed in the third round. 
Svitolina seems to have conquered a lot of her demons at Grand Slams, and it wouldn't be surprising to slot her in that semifinal either. By seed, it should be Svitolina versus Pliskova in the quarterfinals. I think it's likely that Pliskova will be there, frankly. Mm. Svitolina, I don't know that she's had the match play. The only thing I would say is keep an eye on the weather and fitness with Pliskova. She excels on the surface. Everybody knows that. She's won Brisbane three times. She was a semifinalist last year, but she can sometimes struggle with fitness in this extreme heat. We saw it in Cincinnati. And we saw it in Cincinnati against Kuznetsova. Yes. She had that match in the bag, essentially. And Sveta turned it around, winning it in three. But at the same time, this is the beginning of the season, and she's probably way more fresh than when we saw her there. The bottom half, the quarterfinalists by seed, Bencic, Halep, Svitolina, Pliskova. Bob's your uncle. And so if I'm to make a prediction, honestly, I'm seeing an Osaka versus Pliskova final with an Osaka title. That would be my prediction. Oh, wow. I'm not doing it. What are you, you doing? Can't, you can't make me. What are you doing? Oh, I'm not predicting anything. It's not a prediction, just what are you seeing? What am I seeing? What do I want to see? Or what do I think will happen? I know you want Serena to win the title, and that's wonderful. But what are you seeing? You are a scholar of tennis. No. You said Osaka Pliskova? Yes. Mm. I know that it makes sense, but it might be a bit too tidy. I am seeing either a Serena or Barty final on the top half to face somebody surprising. I don't think it's going to be a top five seed. Is it going to be Daniel Collins? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it'll be, uh, it could be Sabalenka. It could be Karolina Mukova. It could be Anisimova. I have no idea. Mukova. Oh. Who knows? On to the men. Where are the top four seeds drawn? Let's start with that. Medvedev bumped up to number four recently and was drawn on the same side as Rafael Nadal who he played in the final of the U.S. Open. Federer and Djokovic are in the bottom half. That's what everyone wants to know, is where are the big three? In the top quarter, headlined by Nadal, he plays Ugo Delian of Bolivia in the first round. His round of 16 could be Nick Kyrgios, and his quarterfinal would be Dominic Thiem. Right. The number five seed. Everyone is talking about this potential round of 16 with Nick Kyrgios. I don't want to be a party pooper. But it has been two years since Nick Kyrgios reached the round of 16 in a major. It was in Australia. He has only reached two quarterfinals in his career. And it's been since 2015. Yes. But Nick has been emotionally moved by this wildfire crisis in Australia. He's spearheading the relief for it. And given the right circumstances where he's buoyed, motivated by a home crowd against Nadal, you know He loves to be the villain against the so-called salty Nadal. Yes. As far as he's concerned. Oh, definitely. So the conditions would be ripe for Kyrgios to cause some chaos in the draw in that scenario, I think. Like we said, there is a noticeable lack of dangerous floaters in the men's draw because it's hard to see a lot of unseated players make seriously deep runs when the top is so firmly entrenched. Also... Playing best of five sets, it takes a lot more to get that job done. Right. To cause a big upset in the early rounds. I would say one of the floaters that I'm looking at in that first quarter is Vasek Pospisil, who opens against Ivo Karlovic, who must be the oldest player in the draw, right? Yes. That's a first round to, to watch. But also, that little section gives him a little wiggle room. If he's feeling himself, like he did at Davis Cup, helping Canada get to the final, Gal Mofiz could be his second round, who is a number 10 seed. Mofiz is always a wild card. Felix Auger-Aliassime could play either Mofiz or Pospisil in the third round. Felix played a grueling match this week, just yesterday, and is possibly carrying an injury. There's some chatter about that. And again, this is why I say it is really iffy to play and go deep in a tournament the week before a major because it is just a real crapshoot. Kevin Anderson could play Dominic team in the third round. That could be tricky for Dominic. Kevin, if healthy, is one of the 
guys that you do not want to play right earlier in a tournament like is kevin back back he is back back mm. i don't know what his form is right that's over what five I mean. sets but he he gave a good account of himself early in the year so far so in that first quarter, you talked about Karlovich Pospisil as a first-round match to watch. That's really it, as far as I can see. Right. And we should mention that we do not have the qualifiers placed in the draw yet. We're recording on Friday night in North America. So when you listen to it, you may have some more intriguing matchups that you notice once the qualifiers are in there. We should say that should Kyrgios not get to the fourth round, it might possibly be because of Karen Hachanov. Right. They're scheduled to play in the third round, and so it could be... Nadal, Hachanov, and they've had their tussles before in the past. Nadal playing team in the quarterfinals, we know they've had their tussles in the past. And then Nadal, Medvedev in the semifinals, they've had their tussles in the past. (laughs) So these are a lot of familiar faces for Rafa Nadal. In that second quarter, as I said, Medvedev is the number four seed. Alexander Zverev is the seven, who's on the bottom half, or the bottom part of that. Medvedev opens against Francis Tiafo. Which I think is much worse news for Francis than it is for Danya. Francis is defending, what, quarterfinal appearance last year at Australia? His best result? Joe Wilfried Songo, we can say his name now. Mm-hmm. He opens against Alexei Popperin, an up-and-comer. That'll be a tough match for him. And there's Stan Wawrinka as well. And John Isner. I know you didn't want to say his name, but Isner and Stan could play in the third round... In the fourth round, if Medvedev gets there, Wawrinka is never the player that you want to play. A veteran who is angling for these young guys, seemed to relish that near-classic match against Tsitsipas last year at Roland Garros that just spun Steph for a loop psychologically. It took a lot out of him. Zverev has a fairly decent draw, but he is not the Zverev that we've come to know. There's a lot that he has to work through with his game and emotionally to get to a place where he could go deep into a second week here. Right. His first round is against Cecchinato. He could face Fernando Verdasco or Nikolaj Basilasvili in the third round. Verdasco, I think, is another unpredictable kind of player, another floater who has made waves at grass court and hard court majors before, has been a semifinalist here in Australia. You might be tempted to write him off as being over the hill, but he doesn't think he is. No, He and said he... this year that his goal is to get into the top 15. Oh, I mean, yeah, oh, like, wow. he has goals for this year. I mean, he's like pulling trucks and flipping monster truck tires over. Have you seen his Instagram? He is swole. <laughs> David Goffin, another very under-the-radar number 11 seed, could play Andre Rublev in the third round. Rublev, who won the title in Doha, continues to win this week, is in the final in Adelaide. He was the one who took out Felix Auger-Aliassime in that three-hour match. Again, do we know if Rublev is going to be exhausted from those two finals runs? Is he going to have enough time to recover? Did he anticipate winning this many matches to open the season? A fourth round with Rublev against Zverev? At that stage, it's pretty tough for Zverev. Right. Given how much of a role Ruby is on at this point. According to Seed, quarterfinals Nadal versus Team, Medvedev versus Verev. Semifinals, according to Seed, Nadal versus Medvedev. What do you see happening here? I think Nadal will probably get through. To what? The semis or the final? Probably. Well, I am going to venture a guess that he would probably get all the way to the final and lose to Djokovic again. <laughs> But from that bottom half, I think Medvedev is the best guess to face uh, any number of people in that quarterfinal. It could be Zverev, Rublev, Goffin, or Basilashvili. In the third quarter, that's headlined by number eight seed Matteo Berrettini and Roger Federer, the third seed. If, according to seed, they play, it would be a rematch of Wimbledon last year where Berrettini was absolutely thrashed. By Federer. Yes. Berrettini has the advantage of that number eight seed. He is a little bit protected now. Sam Query and Borna Chorich is a first round that I'm looking at. Query is, again, like one of those players you never really know what to expect. You can't always judge his recent form and make predictions based on it. 
not a great opener if you're born a torch and who and you're trying to kind of resuscitate your ranking going into this year. Tennis Sandgren. Mm-hmm. Did we have to? It's been, it's been two years since his big splash in Australia. He's currently, I think, just at number one hundred because he lost in Auckland. He wasn't able to defend his title and. On the face of it, you really shouldn't expect that much from him, but he seems to get his big points to keep him afloat this time of the year. It was Australia two years ago, it was Auckland last year. And at majors. It hasn't happened thus far this year, so I'm thinking like perhaps this could happen. We have certain listeners who are apparently thirsting after Tennis Sangren at the moment. Very undercover. It was alarming to learn. (laughs) We're not going to call any names on the show. No, oh my god. But apparently he is ripped to shreds now. Like, this is not the doughy Sandgren that... No, I saw on his Instagram. It, it is true. No, it is yeah. true, yes. So he's in incredible shape right now. And that little draw there, it could happen for him. There's no, there's no, like, super top player there for him to be uh, awed by. Okay, that that's enough. Uh, Guido Pela, number 22 seed... Could face... Hey, look at this first round. Riley Opelka versus Fabio Fognini. I give Opelka a more than fair shot against yes. Fabio. Bublik is there. He's on the come up. Jordan Thompson, the Australian. This is the co- this is the section here where something strange could happen, is what I'm saying. Something unforeseen. Indeed. In Roger Federer's section down there, or his, his eighth of the draw, Denis Shapovalov, Yannick Sinner... Those two could play in the second round. That is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Grigor Dimitrov is all the way back to number 18 now. Opens against Londero. There's Urkacz, who was the semifinalist in Auckland this week. Has a seed, number 31. Ugo Umber, who's the finalist in Auckland. May have won. We have no idea. He'll play Benoit Pair later tonight. I find this section intriguing. Shapovalov, Sinner in the second round, the winner of that to play potentially Dimitrov in the third round, and then we potentially have Urkacz and Federer in the third round, and then one of Shapovalov, Sinner, Dimitrov against maybe Federer in the fourth, in the fourth round. Like This is no easy-peasy right. section for Federer. And don't count out John Millman, who is from Australia, who beat Roger Federer in the U.S. Open in 2018. They could play in the third round. I would still be surprised if Roger Federer did not get through this quarter, but there are potential landmines everywhere. In the final quarter of the draw, headlined by Stefanos Tsitsipas and Novak Djokovic. Bad luck for Stefanos, I would say, because based on his form and his consistent improvement, you know, the sky's the limit for Steph. The winner of the World Tour Finals... In 2019. He's also a semi-finalist here last year. Right. Nadal taking him out. His first few rounds, okay, okay. He drew Milos Raonic, the number 32 seed, in the third round. We get to the fourth round. I think it gets a lot more complicated. Most likely to face Roberto Bautista Agut, who, again, if Roberto gets through that, is someone Novak doesn't really want to see. Does he want to see Stefanos either at this point? Probably not. I mean, Novak is clearly not scared of anyone, but Roberto has been successful against him in the past and is a super annoying player to play against. Mm-hmm. So likely from this section here, Tsitsipas or Bautista Agut in the, in the quarterfinals. I think that's one of the safest sections to pick who's going to make it to the quarterfinals mm. there. And then in that final section, Diego Schwartzman and Novak Djokovic, the two top seeds. Djokovic playing Jan Leonard Struff in the first round could be difficult. Mackenzie McDonald opens against Daniel Evans. Kyle Edmund, Dusan Lajovic in the first round. Lloyd Harris, fresh off of making his first ATP final. Right, in Adelaide. He's going to open against Diego Schwartzman. Dan Evans is at a career-high ranking. Kyle Edmund, I don't know where he's at, to be honest. Dusan Lajovic may be coming off that high of winning the ATP Cup with Serbia. The person I'm looking for here is Nishioka. We Mm. could have a Nishioka Nole third round, and that is one that I may stay up to watch. I would like to see it. Good thing we have PBR. (laughs) 
By seeding, it should be Federer and Novak Djokovic in the semifinals. As we all know, the seedings can go to shit in no time. Right. But I challenge you to bet against Novak Djokovic at the Australian Open. No, I actually... It's a fool's errand. I pick him to win this tournament, Mm. frankly. No, I mean, it was kind of like rhetorical. It's like, how could you bet against Novak at this tournament? He's going for, what, his eighth Australian Open title? We could see a lot of history all around. He got a lot of practice leading up into this tournament because he played a lot at the ATP Cup and won a lot of matches and got a lot of different looks from a lot of different players. So, I mean, he's tough enough as it is on the surface, but to get him coming into this event, having been tested so many times, I I just don't see how you pick against him Mm. at this point. I think some of his fans are a little nervous about the elbow thing. He's actually pretty good about hiding it, but he did get a little treatment on the elbow during ATP Cup, and he is excellent at playing through injury, but it's... It's a very, very tiny, tiny question mark. Like a like a six-point font question mark. He would have to get beaten up pretty badly in the first few rounds yeah. to then become more vulnerable later on, I think. Right. Some people that I'm really looking forward to seeing at this Australian Open, Yannick Sinner, who won the next-gen finals in a different format, in that kind of four-game-per-set format. I am so looking forward to seeing his season on the ATV Tour as like a full-blown adult if i were to pick i would go like you said earlier on djokovic over nadal i think at this point it's difficult to see nadal playing djokovic and beating him in a best of five on this surface Mm -hmm. and also the australian open is just a curse for nadal at this point like i expect (laughs) all manner of bad things to happen to him at this tournament sadly it gives me no pleasure to say it but so many things go well for him until the final. Yes. You know. So that's the draw, in a nutshell. You're going to give us a little bit of a a rundown about the Australian Open's newly minted air quality policy. Yes. Last year, I told you all about the wet bulb globe temperature. This year, I'm going to tell you about the air quality index. Are you excited or what? Riveted. Our friend Frith at Plucky Loser who is Australian, tweeted today about how the Australian Open always devises this sort of pseudoscientific policy that is, uh, I would say, inspired by accepted international science, but not exactly compliant with it. But also not necessarily applicable to elite-level athletic performance. Tennis Australia always has what I like to call a bespoke policy with regard to natural phenomena. Do they take into consideration the use of bespoke vitamins? (laughs) No. They take peer-reviewed science and they interpret it with flair. You may have seen a lot of different categories that make up air quality index over the past few weeks. The key category is called PM2.5. And this means fine particulate matter that is less than 2.5 microns in size. You don't have to know what a micron is. Basically, it's a very small particle that can be respirated deep into the human respiratory system, into the lungs. Because it can be respirated, it can have a lot of really bad effects on humans. Over the short term, when you're exposed, some of the symptoms are coughing, shortness of breath, if you're asthmatic, it can make your asthma worse. In, with long-term exposure, it can contribute to bronchitis, reduced lung function. It can increase mortality for people with heart disease, lung cancer, etc. It's not great. So the Victoria EPA... Environmental Protection Agency. Which I assume it stands for the same thing in Australia as it does in the U.S. They have set a standard of... 62 to 97 uh, of PM 2.5 is considered poor. 98 to 270 is very poor. Anything above 270 is very dangerous, basically. And last week in Melbourne, during the first day of qualifying, the PM 2.5 level was above 200, which is considered very poor. And this is, I mean, this is rated for just 
regular people yeah. going about their day. This is very right? poor for walking around outside, which is what we saw on that first day of qualifying. The city of Melbourne, they said, listen, the air quality is poor. Keep yourselves and your pets inside. Tennis Australia said, let's go play some tennis. Right. Fortunately, I, I was looking at the EPA Victoria website today for Melbourne Central Business District, which is very close to Rod Labor Arena. They have been at a good level of PM 2.5 over the past several days, which is great. I hope it continues to trend in that direction. Tennis Australia released their own bespoke policy and guidelines with regard to the air quality. For them, between 97 and 200 of this PM 2.5 category, match play may be suspended. Above 200, match play will be suspended. But they add this caveat, quote, at any point, the referee may decide to suspend, maintain, or resume match play in accordance with this policy and at his or her absolute discretion, taking into account advice from medical experts, visibility, forecast changes to weather conditions, and any other factors deemed relevant to the overall assessment of air quality. We've seen this before. This with, seems like with a the heat index, right? It seems like a loophole to be like, we need to get some matches in so that we don't have to refund some money. Right. I mean, they give clear guidelines about when matches will be suspended based on whether it's an outdoor court or one of the courts with a roof and an air conditioning system. The, the document seems quite serious until this. Right? I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. It says that matches match play may be suspended between 97 and 200. Yes. Okay. And Sorry. then it says... Above 200, match play will be suspended. Yes. The first day of qualifying was over 200. It was. So That's a good point. So they have heard the cries from some folks here, it seems, or seen the errors of their ways. Or maybe got a demand letter from an attorney. I have no idea. But those players who did play in the air quality on day one, that is now considered very poor, I don't know what their remuneration is will anyone be making them whole if you had to retire on that day do you get anything because this seems to be some kind of concession on the part of tennis australia that could be used in a law in a lawsuit right yakupovich had to retire was struggling so visibly after being up a set in that in that first round of qualifying and now you're saying matches for the tournament will be suspended absolutely if the air quality reaches this level right and I should, sorry, I should mention, I know I threw out a lot of numbers, but the Tennis Australia guidelines of 97 to 200 in that category match play may be suspended. The state of Victoria EPA deems that very poor air quality. <laughs> so I'm thinking of someone like Patrick Vidova, who has struggled with breathing problems in the past. Um, Serena Williams, who's had blood clots in her lungs. Anyone who suffers from allergies or asthma I understand, like, this is athletics, and those players may always be at a disadvantage, but is the air quality further disadvantaging them? Yes, because these agencies are telling regular folk to sit on their couch in their air conditioning and not be outside to even walk around. So why should we expect this of athletes? It's already bad enough in Australia with the heat to then have to add this on top of it. Like, that is crazy to me. It's crazy. So, like I said, the air quality index has been good in central Melbourne over the past few days. I really hope it stays this way and this is a non-issue going forward through this tournament. We want a tournament that is fair and is safe for all players and that everyone faces the same condition. And that living conditions for residents in all of Australia become more bearable and livable and healthy right this is not just about tennis right but if they do continue to be poor we need to hold tennis australia accountable for the health of these players in the absence of some kind of tennis union speak of the devil which devil union (laughs) well we talked about it on our last episode and like clockwork liam brody uttered the words the words that you're not allowed to say. Pospisil uttered the words as well. Alizé Cornet retweeted those words, mm. added her own words. Nicole Gibbs 
is retweeting stuff saying that this kind of air quality being respirated can lead to cancer. And she's like, what did I just play in yesterday as a cancer survivor? Right. We saw a lot of folks, except for Luca Pui, seemingly becoming more aware of what the power of a union could do for tennis players in a situation like this. And then being able to think of what life on tour could be like if they had one. And I was particularly pleased to see that Liam Brody, in his call for a union, tethered the WTA with the ATP. Mm -hmm. Because that's something we've always been wary about. Because the murmuring about unions have largely come from ATP players and the ATP board with Vashek and whatnot. And we've always wanted to know what are what is your thinking with respect to women as well and this this purported union that you're conceptualizing and Liam Brody wants you to know that he's bringing the WTA along in his version of it Braden Schnur the Canadian player got in uh, some hot water maybe some lukewarm water criticizing Rafa and Roger for not being more vocal committing to player welfare and unionization and here's the thing Labor organizing is ugly. It's not it's not a pleasant and and polite and fun endeavor, but these are the sort of things that are required. Like feelings are going to be hurt and people are going to be offended. We sit here and we talk about tennis having a union. And I would concede that that, that sounds a bit too hunky dory for what it would actually entail in practice. Because there are a lot of barriers. Right. Practically, I have no idea what it looks like. What country would the union be incorporated in? What governmental laws would govern the union? Right. If players are deemed independent contractors, are they even legally allowed to organize as a bargaining unit? These are questions that I don't know the answer to, but I hope that players have access to labor lawyers to advise. The bottom line is these players create the product. There are no tournaments without tennis players. So what is it going to take? Is it going to take somebody collapsing and having a serious health issue on court in Australia for something to be mobilized? Hard to say. But it's likely that it would take something catastrophic for for change to happen because right. there's so many corporate interests involved. Getting back to the tennis, we have made reference to the tournaments that are going on currently. Again, we don't know what has happened yet. In these finals, in Adelaide, Hobart, and Auckland, but we have Pear and Umber in the final in Auckland. In Hobart, Ribikina, our number twenty-nine seed at the Australian Open, will play Zhang Shuai in the final. Zhang Shuai is also in the final of doubles along with Peng Shuai, and they will play Sanya Mirza in her comeback event. She has made the final in Hobart alongside Kichinok. Adelaide. On the WTA side has been full of intrigue and full of top players. Smonohala played. She lost to Sabalenka 6-4-6-2. We mentioned Danielle Collins beat Bencic and Kennan easily in fairly quick matches. Yastremska then took out Sabalenka. That was a boom-boom big matchup. That was big babe tennis right yes. there. And then the match of note, Ash Barty beats Danielle Collins. And you may have seen a couple GIFs circulating of the handshake. We generally don't like to talk about handshakes because we find them to be misogynistic and sexist. Just saying. Or at least dwelling too much on them. Yeah. And the discussion surrounding them, right? But this one was not even that great. The handshake. Like, there was nothing in the handshake per se. It was Barty's reaction afterward. Mm. That's what made that GIF happen. Looked up at her box. It was a bemused yeah. reaction. It was a drive-by handshake. It was a full clasp and release. Happened in like a second. Right. But it happened. It was, it was all, it you happened. Were, all you're required to do. Mm-hmm. And then Barty, you could, if you were to read her expression, is like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, <laughs> what's, like, did y'all see this? And she looks at her box and then she's just kind of chuckling to herself. <sighs> She's kind of like bamboozled. She kind of stutters a little bit. Right. But she was already, I think, peeved by some of Collins' antics. Collins let out one of those famous commands and Barty chuckled 
and looked up kind of like, oh God. It, uh, you know, Ash Barty's shade is very, very minor, if you know her, but it, it took Danielle Collins to bring it out. You, you could ask her any number of questions in a press conference and come at her with different angles to try and get her to say something out of pocket. She's not biting. No. She's no. Our con- she's probably the most professional, run-of-the-mill, toe-the-line interviewee on the WTA tour. Mm-hmm. She's not going to be that person. And like, She's not going to tell you if it's not one scam, it's another. That's not, that's not Ash Barty, right? No. And it's not... Like, the thing is, it's not because she's boring. It's because you get the sense that Ash knows herself. She understands the process. And she has made the decision about what she wants to give. Like, what she wants to reveal, how she wants to participate. And it, it's conscious. But her body language betrayed all that yeah, in that moment. It, she, was a little bit, she was a little bit wobbled. She was a little bit shook. It's like the most testy you'll see her, which is not very testy. But she was asked about uh, a medical timeout. And she said something like, you know, I've seen this kind of stuff since the under-12s. I'm like, oh, oh, girl. You just called this... <laughs> Like junior's behavior. This is juvenile stuff. (laughs) I'm a grown woman. The last bit of news on this episode, and it's bad news. Andy Murray has withdrawn from the two events he was scheduled to play in February because he has not recovered from his pelvic issue. Yes. It was alarming to me that this was being referred to as a pelvic issue because it sounds very similar to a hip issue. But he has clarified that it is a bone bruise. He is training. He posted some videos of, you know, stretching and conditioning and stuff, but he has pulled out of his events in February. Montpellier being one of them, and I don't recall what and the I other think, one uh, is. And I think Rotterdam? Perhaps. Yeah. That's okay. Joe always wins Montpellier anyway. <laughs> We're going to end this episode with some words about the GoFundMe. We just had an episode and we talked about it, but we know that folks kind of dip in and out of listening to the show, which is fine. We don't expect everybody to listen to every episode. And we expect that perhaps with this being a, a Grand Slam preview episode, a more... A, a greater cross-section of our listeners. Or a plurality of our listeners <laughs> mm-hmm. will be listening to this one. And so maybe you'll get all the messages that we want to get across. The first being, again, we cannot say this enough, loudly enough. Thank you so much. It's been a wild ride, and y'all have y'all have made our dreams come true. And we're really excited to produce content from South Florida, from Miami. Um, I'm excited to eat Cuban food and drink Cuban coffee. I know that's that's tangential. I will be using my own personal money for that. <laughs> but we will be going to the Miami tournament. We will be going to Berlin, the first grass court tournament that the Body Surf has ever been to. Like we said on the previous episode, we have no guarantee that we'll be getting credentials to these tournaments. We are backing ourselves and shooting our shot, essentially. Mm -hmm. If we don't get credentials, then we will buy tickets to multiple days of those tournaments, and we will find different ways to create content that will be, we hope, interesting to y'all. We might do a TikTok. You're you're well into this TikTok business We may be double the median age of tiktok users but <laughs> we'll try we'll do a tiktok where you know like the the white people are like shocked and it starts rolling up into the berlin tournament um is that how it works but i am white <laughs> i feel like that misses really the point of that meme <laughs> uh back to the matter at hand if you have donated 50 dollars, you are getting a postcard uh in one of our handwriting. We both have really nice handwriting, by the in way. In both of our handwritings, we both oh, write them. Oh, okay. We both write something on it. Oh, okay. If you would like your postcard, please email us your mailing address. And maybe establish a P.O. box if you don't want us to know where you live and Google Street View your house. No, I'm totally kidding. Oh I <laughs> would never do that. <laughs> or email address for you to do that is thebodyserve at gmail.com. You can also DM us, direct message us on Twitter or on Instagram. I guess we'll do our little outro here. Yes. On Twitter, I am tennis underscore John. That's Jonathan. I am James. I'm at Elliot JMR on Twitter. Two L's, two T's. 
You can direct message the podcast, The Body Serve, at The Body Serve on Twitter as well as Instagram. Apparently, you can also email us through the GoFundMe website. We got one of those this week. You can get in touch with us through that. You can get in touch with us on thebodyserve.com. Just Google us and you'll find a way to get in touch with us. If you want the custom BodyServe postcard with our logo and banner on it, please give us your address. We're making a spreadsheet. Everybody who's gotten in touch with us over the last week, we have your info. We've put it in a spreadsheet and we will be mailing those out once the campaign has ended. And to that end, we are keeping the campaign open till the end of the Australian Open. We have hit the goal that we established. We're no longer promoting the GoFundMe on social media because we exceeded the target. We weren't really sure what to set the target at. It was kind of an arbitrary number. Which is to say, if there's more to come, we'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not going to be... But we're not... I, I don't want to come off as greedy. So yeah. it's there. It will close after the Australian Open. Thank you again so much if you've donated. Thank you if uh, you know if you haven't. If We appreciate the download, yes. literally. You can find us on Spotify, Overcast, Podcast Addict, Apple Podcasts, basically any podcast app. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the Australian Open. Get some sleep if you're in North America. Take your vitamins. Till next time. Thank you very much.